It was the year of fire. The year of destruction. The year we took back what was ours. It was the year of rebirth. The year of great sadness. The year of pain. And the year of joy. It was a new age. It was the end of history. It was the year everything changed. The year is 2017. The place. The System Mastery Podcast. Welcome to System Mastery. I'm Jeff. With me, as always, is your co-host, John. He's not mine. He's just yours. He's your problem now, America. Yeah, whenever I cry, it's always your John. (laughs) You're my John when you get a good grade in English. We talked about this. (laughs) So John is uh, coming to you live from the middle of a migraine. Yep, Uh, it it is completely dark in here, and even though... It is no lights on. I am still wearing sunglasses as well. Why don't you just close your eyes? I can't, man. I can't close my eyes. I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> you're already... How many fingers am I holding up? Uh, I don't know, like two? Okay, fine. I guess you can kind of see. <laughs> I almost said one, but then I think it was two. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, So, John, we are reviewing for the people this week, this very week, uh, the Babylon Project. Oh boy, the Babylon Project. Which then goes on to tell you that it's, and this is all still the title, the role-playing game based on Babylon 5. Okay, I know that might pretty much sound like a complete title to you, just so you know, it's the Babylon Project, it's based on the, on the uh, Babylon 5 television show, but it's not. We still have a little more to go here. The full title is, of course, The Babylon Project, the role-playing game based on Babylon 5, the Warner Brothers television series created by J. Michael Straczynski. Yep, that's the full title. That's the full title, and I think you have to use it every time you say the name of the game. Yeah. You got to say it every time. Yeah. It's it's incorrect if you don't. You could be talking about some other Babylon project. Yeah, for, I'm pretty sure that's just a reggae group. Look, the Babylon just, project? Yeah, well, yeah. Or it could be another role-playing game that, that you don't know about. So even if you just say the Babylon project, the role-playing game based on Babylon 5, people might still say, wait, is that the one based on the, uh, <laughs> on the television series created by, I, I don't know, some other TV show creator? Yeah. And you have to be like, no, this is the one, this is the official one based on the TV show created by J. Michael Straczynski. Exactly. F- famed, I think, comic books books author? Yeah, he's uh, he's done some Spider's Man and various other things. Yeah. He uh, he did some Ghostbusters work back in the day. He's a, he's a big name. He's a, he's a big old name. He's, he's a, got a very long big name. <laughs> yeah. Seeing as how that J stands for Jebediah, blessed is he amongst the Canaanites. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> That's the Little whole. known fact. <laughs> J. Michael Straczynski, Amish. <laughs> he grew up in one of those weird tiny religions where your name is like a whole sentence. <laughs> and that's his name. Yep. Anyway, so, uh, John, what do you know about the Babylon 5, the show? I know basically nothing. I have never watched an episode. <laughs> uh, I know that it had some weird shadow aliens or something later in the series. That is true. That's I only know that because one of my friends watched the show and was like, Oh, there's weird shadow aliens. And I went, I don't know what you're talking about, man. 
Babylon 5 is a garbage show. <laughs> it would be an amazing show if, if there's a lot of things in the way of this being an awesome show. Like, you know how Farscape, right? You know, you, you like Farscape. Eh, it's all right. So Farscape took its like $5 budget and did amazing things. You know, it has like a puppet for an alien and a puppet for a different alien and, <laughs> and, and just cool random dudes with weird alien monster powers and stuff. It was it was fun. This show took its five dollar budget and gave us spaceships that look like they're straight out of a daytime antihistamine commercial. No, straight up. I so we used the season four intro for our intro. Yeah. And when I first watched that the other day, I was like, oh, my God, this looks awful. It didn't look good at the time either. I tried watching watching the show when it was contemporary uh, way back in the 90s, and I was like, alright, let's see what you're all about, Babylon 5. Oh my god, this is so ugly. This would be better if the characters just looked out fake portholes and described the space sequences. Right? Like I if mean, it was just Greek chorusing. This, this was contemporary with stuff like DS9 and so on, and, whoo, baby, that is... Real bad. It's the one that tried to do CGI in a time where models were still reigning supreme, and it, it very much shows. The show would be a thousand times better if, if Sheridan just looked out the window and was like, uh, oh my god, you guys, this battle is incredible. Oh no, the space fighter has Exuant stage right, pursued by a space bear. <laughs> that that would have been way better. way better than what you got, which instead looks like a whole bunch of spaceships that want to tell, talk to you about toe fungus. Right? It's just like... Hey, do you have allergies? I'm a spaceship. <laughs> For the best car insurance rates in town. <laughs> Call Babylon 5. <laughs> Get on down. That's, that's just what this show looked like. So I, I have only watched a little bit of Babylon 5. Uh, I watched a few episodes back when it was still on the air. And then when it came out on Netflix, I tried to sit down and watch the series, you know, kind of do the let's just go through this all at once like I did with Buffy or, or I did with... Uh, uh shoot what's the uh Battlestar Galactica yeah you know I I looked at it and I was like oh Babylon 5 is on Netflix I I know that I had some friends who were into that and I know it's sort of well known for the sci-fi thing I should probably look into it and then did not even attempt it at all yeah I said I watched the first three or four episodes of episode of season one which was enough to confirm for me that it was terrible in the first season and that I should go on Wikipedia or just the internet in general, to see if people were kind of unanimous in saying skip season one. Because, you know, there's shows that are like that. Yeah. Like, uh, again, Buffy. You know, like Firefly. Firefly would be great <laughs> if you skipped season one and just watched the movie. Sure. I, But no, like Buffy, people are always like, you could probably skip season one of Buffy. and I mean, you probably could. And go straight to season two, and it gets really good right around then. Uh, there are other shows that work that same way, but... But uh, with this one, it was like, yeah, you should probably just skip season one. They were still getting their actor footing together. A lot of the characters are going to get replaced. So I did. I skipped and I watched all of season two. I made myself watch season two, but I, I, I just couldn't care. <laughs> yeah, was, that'll happen. Yeah. The, the, the spaceships were so dumb looking. The the characters were so. Uh, and you had Grandpa Munster on there. <laughs> always. Straight- Telling this weird lizard guy that he's a jerk. Yeah, no, you've got that's Jakar and uh, Londo Malari, who represent uh, two of the the four playable races in this game. 
So this game lets you play as humans and strongly encourages you to play as humans. Yeah. Over really and does. over again. Like every couple pages, there's a sidebar that's like, just to remind you, this is a human-centric game. And like one in 10,000 of your players should be playing a, 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 what do you even call them, a Centaurian or a Narn or God forbid a Minbari. Well, yeah, because if you're one of the Minbari, they're like, but why would you just hang around with some random humans? Well, obviously, you'd be playing the same role as Delenn, whose role was to slowly get more and more human as her head thing she had to wear got uncomfortable, and she insisted on letting her hair hang out. <laughs> they're like, fine, you're a, a human Minbari hybrid, I guess, and you can have hair. Fine. Whatever. What? <laughs> Moving along. None of the people on this show like their makeup. That's why uh, Peter Jurassic's makeup is just uh, a, a friggin' barrette that he wears it as a stupid feathered uh, nonsense <laughs> yeah. rainbow of black hair up top. Uh, I mean, that, he's just a little fat vampire with like a chicken crest. That's my favorite thing upon reading this book where I was like, you have an entire race of alien that their whole thing is just, we have stupid hair. Yes, that's true. Like, then, that's weird to me. And then that's Peter Jurassic, by the way, who plays Grandpa Munster looking fat space vampire. Yep. Uh, you'd know him because he's on your favorite show of all time. Yeah, he's it on the worst season of my favorite show. <laughs> yeah, because Peter Jurassic played Dr. Geiger. Or yeah. Is it, is it Geiger? It's, it's Geiger. And he, he fucks up and combines, like, Jerry O'Connell with the new Quinn on that show for sliders. God, just the worst season four. The only person left was Rembrandt Brown and everyone else was different. <laughs> well, that's kind of like watching from the, this show because this show had a lot of people who just got fed up and quit or like Andrea Katsoulis, who actually plays Jakar the Narn. He got so fed up with the show and the makeup that he just died to get away from it. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm what kidding. happened. He, he loved this show and, and everyone misses him greatly. Uh, he's the reason that they haven't kept doing stuff from this this show, apparently. Apparent. Yeah. So anyway, uh, there are four races you can play as in this game. Uh, you can't play as the other major race from the first couple seasons of the show, the Vorlon, because they're too weird. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, there's not even really a lot of information about them in the book. I no. don't know if this came out at a point where they were still super mysterious or... Honestly, I could have researched to see when this came out in comparison to when the show... I, th I think this came out... Like season three? One thing about it is that the book specifically tells you that you are going to play in, and you don't have an option about this. It's like, your game will be set before the Shadow Wars. So this is set between seasons one and two, or I guess between two and three, but not after three, by God. So either that came out between those, or it just, the authors just hated the Shadow Wars, or, <laughs> or they were like, well, we have to leave ourselves something. We can't write ourselves into a corner here, Jerry. We have to leave open some space. So that we can we can expand upon this later. We'll have to put out a second book of the Shadow Wars. And well, then another one about third space aliens. Well, you don't want to get into that point where you're like one of those animes that has gone past where the manga is and you just make shit up. Oh, you don't want to yeah. get into Starfleet territory is what I'm saying. No, here. you don't want to end up like Naruto non-manga stories where it's just, let's see what's going on. Let's follow random ninja as he goes about his daily business in the village let's have some people follow a beetle around let's see where that goes what's up with this storyline oh there's a whole clan of beetle people that's great let's learn about all of them and their stupid hoodies that they wear let's see how hard we can spin these wheels <laughs> without going anywhere though oh god oh goodness no going going places is the worst naruto looks at a bubble for half an hour the episode <laughs> 
<laughs> Naruto watches a plastic bag swirling in the wind. It's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. <laughs> then he shoots it with a giant wind ninja star or something. <laughs> anyway, uh. so this is set before the Shadow Wars. Um, it's interesting. This book is set not on Babylon 5, but merely in that universe. It, it Yeah, it, it doesn't want you to be on Babylon 5 yeah. at all. Like, you can go there. But it's like, no, uh, the stories that are going on on Babylon 5 have already been told, and we want you to fill in the gaps of what's happening in the rest of the universe and what's going on there. I wonder, I'm guessing that like a lot of role-playing games, this thing is born out of someone's homebrew. Like like uh, they had been playing a Babylon 5 game, and I'm wondering if the don't set your game on Babylon 5 is an outgrowth from one player who kept like saying point of order. You know, like, <laughs> oh, okay, well... We've accidentally destroyed the science wing, guys. I'm sorry. A point of order. The science wing was not destroyed until season four, episode two. Or, you know, you've got someone who's the opposite direction who's like, oh, what are we on Babylon 5? I kill one of the main characters. I kill John Sheridan or or, yeah. or Peter Garibaldi. or, or I, I go throw Fat Vampire out the space lock. <laughs> That'll show him. That'll I, do it. I hate Fat va- fat Space Vampire and I want <laughs> I want different Fat Space Vampire. His Get out, get out of here, Grandpa this, Monster. This is the thing. There's only like... The book, the movie, the the show is so deeply committed to its humans being the main characters that there's one or two of each alien species. There's one Vorlon, there's one Narn, there's two Minbari, and there's two Centaurans, and that's only because that those two have adjutants or like friends. Oh boy! So Delenn has some friend played by Bill Mooney, who's like the most <laughs> famous person to come out of the show. Has someone played by Bill Murray? <laughs> The other most, slightly less famous than Bill Mooney. Slightly Moomy. less. Bill Murray, of course, was on the show briefly playing a... Uh, a space vampire. A, space, a fat space vampire, as <laughs> as he will do from uh. time to time. No, uh, so the first season of the show had a different captain and a different first mate. Wow. Yeah, they had to, they had to do a lot of change. I mean, they, both of them left the show over creative dispute differences or issues over uh, how much character time they were being focused on or money or whatever. But then, you know, they didn't find work elsewhere, so they kept popping up as guest stars. Uh. So that the uh, I forget who played the first captain, but he gets replaced by Bruce Boxleitner. Yeah, yeah, yes. I saw in the credits for when I was watching that season four thing. I was like, oh, hey, look at that. Yeah, Bruce Boxleitner, and then they replaced their psyops first mate lady, some. Uh, icy Russian blonde lady with a new woman who then also threatens to leave or I don't remember how it worked out. This show is just full of contract disputes. It's (laughs) it's it's hard to watch it and be like, man, these people hated this job. Yeah, great. So so let's talk about how you make a character and what you do in the fine world adjacent to Babylon 5, but definitely not on Babylon 5. Indeed. That's why it's the Babylon project. Yes, because I don't know. He's so, going to project Babylons. <laughs> yeah, it's called Babylon Project. Yes. That's that's what it is. The Babylon ship has a big space slingshot on it that it uses to project your characters into adventure. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm calling it by an incorrect name. It's full correct name. Hold on. Sorry. That's, that's on us. We could have been talking about any role-playing game set on or about a Babylon of any kind on which project projects were taking place. Yes. I mean, this could be Babylon project, the hanging gardens design role-playing game that would be on me. And I apologize <laughs> if you were confused for a second. So again, it's the Babylon project, the role-playing game based on Babylon five, the Warner brothers television series created by J. Michael Straczynski. Thank you. I'm less confused now. Yeah. Now there's no chance we're talking about the hanging gardens of Babylon or any other seven wonders of the ancient world style role-playing game. Yeah. 
Right. So, so here's the stats, and here's how they work. You can choose one of the four core races to play as. Humans, Minbari, Narn, and Centaurans. And to give you a brief rundown of what those are, Minbari are ancient psychic humans with, uh, with shell ridges around the backs of their heads. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, all of the races here are your standard Star Trek races, basically. Uh-huh. And Minbari divide themselves up into warrior, building, and religious castes, and don't, and consider themselves to be bigger and above the other races because they've been around for so long. Yeah. Uh, then you've got Centaurans, which are an imperious, self-serving, uh, sort of... It's like an entire race of aristocrats. Yes, an entire race of, of pompous aristocrats. Uh, the only way you can tell whether or not they're Centaurans is that they are all wearing stupid Quark-style waistcoat outfits, you know, like like suits that look like you should be wearing them if you are a Mad Hatter or a maker of professional candies. <laughs> like, those are the only... Uh, you're out, your suit's made out of carpet samples and you <laughs> not, look ridiculous. Not a, prof- <laughs> a professional maker of candies. A maker of professional candies. Yeah, I said it and I meant it. So... <laughs> And then, of course, also all of them have a cresting, mag- majestic wave of stupid vampire hair. Yeah. And as they get older, they start getting a bunch of liver spots up in their, uh, around their widow's peak up where, they're, where the wave is pulling back on their mighty he- head wave. Yay. So, uh, and then finally, Narn, which are lizard guys. Uh, you don't see them a lot of them on the show because the outfit's expensive to make. Uh, but they are lizard dudes who up until very recently were subservient sit- or forced citizens in the Centauran Empire. Uh, who managed to war their way free, and although they used to be very peaceful and agrarian, they are now suspicious and grumpy and cantankerous race because of what the Centaurans did to them. Yeah, and so they were so determined to not be slaves again that they went out into the world and conquered other planets. Yes. Good job, guys. And then there are humans, which in this game, wouldn't you know it, are the race that's the most adaptable. Yay. The, uh... The characters for everything, uh, the game uses a stat spread, mm-hmm. so you just pick whatever race you are and you get a stats down the line. Yeah, with five being the average and ten being the peak, and uh, basically each race gets stats like, oh, Minbari are quite wise and have a six in wisdom, and then you can argue with your DM for a variance. Well, the, the variance is if you get a plus one in something, you get a minus one in something else. Yes. So. If I want to be slightly smarter, I can get a plus one in intelligence, but I am going to have to trade off something, so maybe I bring my strength down by one. And you can do this for, like, uh, plus two in something and then two minus ones, whatever. You just have to balance out overall. Yes. The book goes out. It gives you a sidebar where it mentions that, oh, gosh, you might want a plus three in something and a minus three in something else, but that is just being crazy. Make sure you consult with your DM and don't be surprised if they say no to such an outlandish proposition. Well, yeah, because when you start getting higher up in the numbers, like... The, it just becomes weird for a human to have that. So if you're like, oh, yeah, I'm some guy and I've got like a 10 in finesse or something, you're like, holy shit, really? Wow. Yeah, I'm Lando Calrissian, motherfucker. What? What? <laughs> I got a cape. That's how he talks. All <laughs> that's, the time. that's it. <laughs> I, I've got the leaked script from the new Han Solo movie. Yeah, where and, Donald uh, Glover's going to be playing him. Boy, howdy. Donald Glover walks around the whole time and he's like, what, bitch? Do you think Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian is an okay offering to his big fans who really wanted to see him as uh Spider-Man. Yeah. The, the young Spider-Man whose name is escaping me. Miles Morales. Thank you. Miles Morales. Do you think that's an okay contra- like uh, exchange? 
uh, that were getting him as Lando, who was an, also an I- iconic character and who was criminally missing from Force Awakens. Yeah, well, I think I think that is definitely going to make uh, the people who like him very happy because it's Lando. Everyone loves Lando. Yeah. Plus, he's even in that Spider-Man movie. Yeah, he, I mean, he gets to show up. He, he just doesn't get to be Miles. Yeah, right now the speculation is that he's a little too old to play Miles, so he's playing Miles' uncle, who's the character from the comics. Yeah, old Uncle Morales. Old Uncle something or other, a, a petty criminal and relative of Miles Morales. So <laughs> Great. I mean, it makes sense to me that he can't be Miles Morales anymore, because one thing about Miles is that he should at least be younger than Peter. Yes. But anyway, uh, you get three blocks of types of stats. So there are cultural attributes mental attributes, and physical attributes. Yeah. And cultural attributes include charm, finesse, presence, and we get the obvious ones, and then xeno-relations. The interesting thing about xeno-relations is... They're gross and slippery. Hey. Oh, man. Get me some of them xeno-relations, right? Oh, yeah. On a Saturday night. And I'm like, Garrus, get over here. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's do this, you big gross cricket. <laughs> come here, come here, you gross space cricket. I'm going <laughs> to definitely have some kind of sex with you. <laughs> What's that? Your chemicals are all, like, corrosive to me and shit? That's okay. I've read a lot of fix about this, so I... <laughs> I know what's going to happen. I understand what's happening here. What are you... Wait, are you just depositing your genetic material in the corner of the room and then webbing it up? Am I supposed to... When do we get busy? Why why do you have an ovipositor? (laughs) Why don't you have an ovipositor receptor, (laughs) Shepard? Shepard. Yeah, because you really want to do it with Rex, too, while you're at it. Yeah, of course. So so the the thing with uh, Xeno relations is... All your other social stats are what you would normally use if you're talking to someone else of your race. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to be kind of slick, you're using your finesse and so on. But as soon as you start talking to a member of a different race, you use whatever is lower between the regular stat and Xeno relations. So if your Xeno relations is uh, very low, then it doesn't matter. You're just not good at talking to aliens. Of course, even if it's high, you still have the threshold of whatever your baseline stat is. So it's a limiting factor that makes you keeps you from being too good at talking to aliens. I have this problem as well, where I'm always calling them brother when I, I shouldn't. Brother? <laughs> yeah. Brother, Get I, in a squared circle, brother. I hate that hedgehog, brother. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why, why, why are you like Hulk Hogan Robotnik? Because that is a character that exists in the Sonic the Hedgehog comics. Oh, God, why? Why? (laughs) And he hates that hedgehog, brother. brother. God damn it. (laughs) What you gonna do when these 24-inch pythons run wild and really, really fast over you? (laughs) When these 24-inch robotic pythons... (laughs) (laughs) So Xeno-Relations is a limiting factor. It's, It's an interesting idea. It's a little... It basically means that everyone's a little bit space racist. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's the whole, they're from a different culture, they're a different race than you entirely, so you aren't always 100% able to get everything you want across. Which is hilarious to me, because most of the races in this book, are su- or in this world, are summed up in about three sentences, and it's real easy to get your mind around them. Well, that's the same thing in basically any sci-fi game, is they're like, oh yeah, if you meet anyone from any given race they are all exactly the same all of them like this one thing you're like man come on like you don't do that for humans 
Yeah. I mean, like with these Centaurans, for example, they're pompous, conniving space aristocrats. Once you get that in your head, you're like, fine, I know some pompous, conniving aristocrats on Earth. I'll just treat them like those guys and we'll be fine. But even then, I'm like, okay, but what about like the Centauri janitors? What are they like? Are they like going around imperiously mopping up the floors? Well, they don't have they don't have space janitors because they have they have subjugated other races who do their janitorial services for them, and they wear the worst little stupid waistcoats. The worst. Yeah, and they're dumb, oddly cut like uh nineteen or eighteen fifties jackets and so on. <laughs> the worst. They're just just the worst. Uh, uh yeah. It's it, if you want to watch a a fat guy. Wearing a dumb jacket, argue with someone with a whole bunch of prosthetics. Then, boy, howdy, you should be in this room right now. Or you should watch DS9. But barring that, I guess you could watch Babylon 5. Indeed. Yeah. Anyway, uh, next set of stats include, and these are the uh, mental attributes, uh, intelligence, insight, wits, perception, and psionic. Now, psionic is normally at zero. Mm -hmm, Unless Uh, you're a telepath. You don't really worry about it, and you have to specifically ask to be a telepath basically like you go a little dm may i yeah you go up and you're like hey i want to be a telepath and then you'll get some points in that stat otherwise you don't even worry about it but but don't count on it because the sidebar doesn't just say hey you should probably keep your number of telepaths to one or something like that because they're not very common the sidebar says keep in mind only one in ten thousand humans is a telepath Great. Make your play. It doesn't say this, but it's got that tone of make your player roll 4d10, and if they're all zeros, it's okay. No, the, I mean, the thing for me is I look at it and go, okay, I can understand having a telepath. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But I would also think it would be way more likely to have a group of all telepaths and be like, what are you? Oh, we're part of whatever the Psy Council is. It's called Psycor. It's the dumbest name. It's it's an important thing on the show is that there's these dudes who dress like Max Headroom <laughs> yeah. that are, and wear mirrored sunglasses and are called Psychor. Yeah, they're in the Psychor su- Circus. <laughs> yes, they are all space juggalos. <laughs> hey, now the Psycho Circus is Kiss. Yeah, I know, and I always assumed that Kiss is basically space juggalos. <laughs> Obviously, they're the ones who came to Earth first and seeded us with face paint technology. Oh yeah, that would one day blend with local dummies in the mid in the Midwest and become the Juggalo. Yeah, they're <laughs> they are the ancient aliens of the Juggalo. Yeah, ancient aliens and demons that now just represented as the constellations in the sky and plastic cheap toothbrushes you can purchase and a direct-to-DVD movie where they meet Scooby-Doo. They they say that their blood is mixed in with the ink that create these special tomes. <laughs> Do you think we'll ever get a movie where where uh, Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope meet Scooby-Doo? God, I hope so. I mean, we've got one for Kiss. We've got one for the WWE superstars. <laughs> Which amazing someone recommend that to us please i really want to watch it uh i i mean having watched the clip of john cena stop a boulder at least a dozen times by now yeah so that's that's very high on our our, our wish list is to watch that stupid movie but yeah one where, where uh violent jay and shaggy two dope have to meet up with scooby and shaggy and velma and solve mysteries and when you know it it turns out that all of the the mystery incorporated crew are huge juggalo fans oh obviously yeah, except for Velma, who doesn't get it. I'm not down with the clown. <laughs> I don't understand this. I'm, I'm just Velma. I don't have any powers. <laughs> They're just hardcore clown rappers. They're just a dime a dozen. There are 15 <laughs> other bands that are similar. <laughs> uh, 
anyway, <laughs> God. So yeah, you have to you have to fight for your right to be psychic in this game, and the rest of the stats do what you think they would do: intelligence, insight, wills, and perception. Uh, and then I'm sorry, wits and perception. Then you've got the physical attributes: strength, agility, endurance, and coordination. And I'm falling asleep. You know what all those do already? Yeah. You don't you don't need me. Coordination is hand eye coordination. It's the shooty stat. There you go. That's the only one you may not have figured out right away. <laughs> so uh, really, with those. The only thing you're going to do with that is occasionally you might be called on to do a stat roll by Mm -hmm. itself. Probably not. Most of the time it's going to be your stat plus a skill that you have. And this game has a variety of skills. And let's let's just get into the actual character creation for this because it is amazing. Yeah, it's actually an, an... to, to give this book its due, the character creation section of this is innovative and interesting, especially for how old this is. Yeah, given that this book came out in like 97, the character creation process has you sit down and walk through the life of your character up till now and see how the choices you've made affect your current life. So you start out and it's like, okay. Tell me about your character's childhood. Where did they grow up? What were they interested in? What was their uh, family like? And it has you describe that. And then you pick some skills out of the list of like 50 odd skills there are. Mm -hmm. uh, And maybe one or two characteristics. And you put that on outside of the character sheet that there is. There's a character worksheet where all of these questions and... Uh, skill and characteristic selections go on and it's what you write out before you even have a character yes you have to go through a long and interesting process to cut to come together into a character there's a there's a whole process by which you coalesce into having an active character uh so at each level of your life childhood teenage uh college years early professional life you pick out some skills that reflect the story of your life at that time period now these aren't uh, skills that you have yet. These are just things that you might have known or uh, characteristics that might have described you at the time. Characteristics. I might have known. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Some characteristics that I used to know. <laughs> but you didn't have to take them all. <laughs> no, you're going to choose a sample and then play this dumb game. Yep. The uh... So what you do is you go through, once you have all of that down and you've described your entire character's life up to this point you decide a few things Mm -hmm. one is you're going to have a primary skill the primary skill gets plus four and it's pretty much just what your character focuses on now when you're selecting for this and your secondaries and tertiaries you're usually just picking from the list of what you wrote down already So there's nothing that says, like, when you're writing down, oh, as a kid, I was really into dancing, and then I continued being into dancing when I was in college. Like, great, you can write dancing down twice. It doesn't matter. Uh, Yeah, because you won't have to, you're never going to get all of these anyway. No, but what you'll do is say, okay, well, what I really wanted to make was some kind of, like, pilot, so I'll get, like, piloting, spaceship, and make that my primary. Uh, you'll get three of the secondaries. Those all get a plus three. And again, you'll just pick three skills out of the stuff that you mentioned. Those are going to be good, but not the best. And then for your tertiaries, you get 12 points to spend. So you could have 
12 skills at level 1, you could have a few more skills at level 3, whatever you wanted to do, uh, but your uh, final skills are just going to be based on a point by that way. Yes, and a lot of your skills will be left in the dirt because they're things that you did in childhood or in, in you know college that you simply didn't have a, a lifelong interest in. They're, they're things you dallied with, and they're interesting for RPG development to be like, oh, my character used to be an actor. It isn't anymore. Maybe he has a plus one in it, if, if anything, but used to be an actor. And, and there's a reason why I gave that up. Yeah. It's or, you know, idea. you're like, oh, as a kid, I grew up on a farm. And so I would have some like agriculture skills. But, you know, yeah, but ever since I went to college and left and had a different job, I haven't really done anything with it. Yeah. Like, for so. example, you could play as an old bald guy who grew up on a French vineyard and has a French name and is French but for some reason has the most pompous British accent in the world. Yeah. Yeah, you can make that character no problem. No problem. Super into anthropology, but it only ever comes up when there's a hot anthropologist guest character. Yeah, you could definitely make some bald guy who's like, I really love baseball. Yeah. <laughs> baseball, growing little beards, dating uh, just civilian freighter captains. Yeah, love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I love. Just bald guys. You can make as many of these bald guys as you want. So many bald guys. <laughs> so the list... <laughs> So you may be finding yourself wondering right now if this skill, if this game has the seduction uh, test to be passed or not. Interestingly, it simply skips that. This game has like no seduction or any mention of sexuality in any capacity whatsoever. Uh, there's just no seduction skill. Yeah, it's uh, you have the ability to influence people, mm -hmm. but there's no specifically like I'm going to get someone to want my junk. Yeah, there's nothing like that. Uh, I, I assume it's just because that wasn't a huge part of the show and they just felt like they didn't need it. Yeah, and I think for a game and a setting that's based so much around, like, oh, weird Xeno relations, they're like, yeah, but we don't want to get into, like, Xeno relations. <laughs> Which is a real shame, because let me tell you, buddy, man, you get the moons just right. Oh, baby. That, get some of that crazy alien music going, and then, bam, you're having Xeno relations. Woo! Like my fanfic. Yeah, like my fanfic, The Babylon Project. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Are you talking about the RPG about the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? Oh, no, I'm talking about my fanfic, The Babylon Project, an erotic sex venture set in space. <laughs> Based on the Babylon 5 television show by created J. by Michaels, John. <laughs> J. Michael Straczynski. <laughs> the, <laughs> so the other thing that I had mentioned, aside from skills, is you get characteristics. Now, characteristics in this are mostly uh, like role-playing things. So you can be like, oh, I have the characteristic of stubborn or I have the characteristic of curious or whatever it happens to be. And the uh, the characteristics like that only really come into play when you get your like fate point equivalents. You get your fortune points. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. You can spend them to... Uh, make like your rolls better. You can spend them to roll on things you don't have a skill for. Uh, you can spend them to not die in a, when you probably should have died. But they are there to uh, just sort of smooth out rolls and things. And it's why you're a cool protagonist is because you have these fortune points. Yes. And so just like in a lot of modern day things, it's just... Okay, let's say I have Curious as one of my characteristics. Anytime where I roleplay as Curious and it either ends up being a really good roleplaying opportunity or some actual obstacle arises 
and I deal with it because I'm curious, like that's why there's an obstacle, then I can get a point for playing along with it. So that's that. There are a few that are not that, like Ally is one of them where you just have someone who is your buddy. Yeah, or, you get a buddy. Or assets where you just have cash. Mm-hmm. But most of them are, are cool role-playing aids that kind of provide you fortune points and make your character more dynamic. Yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate that you have all of these really cool role-playing things, and then there are stuff like ally or assets where you go... Artifact, it was surprising to see in there. You're like, oh, why, why is that in here? Like, this is just a material thing I have. <laughs> well, maybe because you wanted to play Garibaldi, who I, I can't remember if I'm right about this, but I feel like a lot of one of the seasons was dedicated to him quietly building a motorcycle in his quarters. Maybe you're Garibaldi, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but he switched sexes when there weren't enough other Garibaldi of his sex. Yeah, back when 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 Garibaldi was the state fish of California. You remember that? Yeah, and when he grew up, he was blue with orange spots, but then eventually turned bright orange all the way over. <laughs> yeah. Right about the same time his hair fell out. <laughs> I, I gotta be honest here, a, a lot of the rules in this game, while innovative, didn't grab me, and I've just been, while you've been explaining characteristics, I've been remembering where I've seen every actor. Wow. That's what I've been doing. I've been like, all right, so Peter Jurassic was in Sliders, Andreas Katsilis, who played uh, who played Jakar the Narn, was the actual one-armed man in The Fugitive. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, Mira Furlani, who played Delenn. Uh, you remember her as Rousseau on Lost? Oh, all right. Yeah. See, I'm getting this. I've got it all coming together in my brain. Good. <laughs> and of course, Bruce Boxleitner, probably most famous for Babylon 5. Probably. Yeah, certainly. Not. I can't I can't think of anything else he was. Can you? No, nothing. Yeah. Nothing's coming to mind, at no, least. I, I don't. So, uh, so anyway... <laughs> So to uh, to get your character done, you get some characteristics. You'll probably have the book suggests uh, between three and seven of them. Yes, and it's up to you how many you pick because a lot of them. It's not like they really have hindrances associated with them. It's just they're having too many. Just kind of makes your character a little unwieldy. Yeah, once you get to the point where you're like, oh, how do you describe your character? You're like, well, my character is. Uh, bold and curious and pretty and uh, flighty and they like to run and I get it. You're every Sandra Bullock character ever. I understand. Yeah, I am. How did you know? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Acting like I've never seen all about Steve 15 times. <laughs> Acting like I don't have the net on in the background right now. <laughs> have you seen all about Steve? I have not. Oh my god, it is the craziest movie. I've seen some about Steve. Um, All About Steve is, she plays a professional uh, crossword puzzle writer. Wow. But she's like completely movie-friendly bonkers. Like she's always wearing wading boots and she lives with her parents and all this stuff. And she gets obsessed with some like weatherman newscaster and stalks him across the country and conspires to ruin his life until he dates her. Okay. It's one of those movies where if they reverse the gender, it'd have to be called like irreversible or something. (laughs) (laughs) But because it's Sandra Bullock doing it, it's whimsical and fun. (laughs) Oh, this isn't mental illness at all. Nope. This is just good old fashioned fun. This is a romantic farsity. We anyway, back to it. Uh, So it's interesting to me that the character sheet gives you room for about 20 characteristics if you wanted them. But the other thing, the character sheet, which I happen to be looking at at the moment, uh, reminded me of, is, oh, is the grid of which a human body is made. Well, that'll 
<laughs> that will come into play when we get to the combat. Yeah, why don't we first talk about how you resolve a skill in this game? What's the role that you use? So this game uses a 2d6 system. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to specify one die as positive, one die as negative, and you're going to roll those. So this might sound familiar. Yeah, it uh, sounds a any... lot like the feng shui system to me, where you have a, a, a what you call the fudge dice or whatever they were, that where you roll a, what was it, a swing or something like that? It was... It's 2d6, yeah. and then you combine them. Yeah, you subtract one from the negative from the positive, and the result is your total variance. Yeah. So it gave you a swing from negative five to positive five. Now, Babylon Project... W which Babylon Project, John? Are you talking about Babylon Project, the reggae creator role-playing game? Oh, no. No, I'm talking about the Babylon Project, you know, the one... Oh, can I help you out here? Could you, could you be talking about the Babylon Project, the role-playing game based on Babylon 5, the Warner Brothers television series created by J. Michael Straczynski? That's the one. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, all right. I remember hearing about it. turned out to be a question on Hollywood stars and celebrities. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. So <laughs> so that's that's how I have it in my head. Oh, good. Yeah. So in that game, as opposed to feng shui, mm -hmm. uh, you have your positive and your negative dice. But what you do is you roll them, and whichever one comes up lower is the one that you use. So if you roll and the negative die is a three and the positive die is a two... You have a two, right? And it's positive. If you rolled and you got a uh, three on the negative die and a six on the positive die, you have a negative three, which means the system really skews towards small variants. It's a because surprisingly conservative game in general. Oh yeah, if you roll a one on either die, you're only going to vary by one. Uh, if you roll any doubles, it's just cancels out and it's zero mm -hmm. and then if you roll snake eyes or boxcars you get a special thing so it's uh real bad if you roll snake eyes real good if you roll the boxcars but it still only adds plus zero oh that's just like in real life at vegas just like just like bart <laughs> <laughs> uh all right so Basically, you use that to, to see whether or not you succeed at something. You roll against a target number, uh, you add your skill to your characteristic, and then you roll that variance die to see if it modifies your thing. The variance die is so sw not swingy, though, that it feels like it's almost pointless to have it in the game. Well, yeah, it's, it is a, a system where most of the time you're going to know pretty much right off the bat whether or not you could do something. Because you'll look at your stat plus skill, and, oh, I forgot to mention, for every skill you have, you get specialties. Yes. Just oh, for that's free. Right. You automatically get specialties. This game actually is kind of cool in that way, where each skill you have, you're like, all right, my character can dance, but he has a specialty in Crumpin. <laughs> yeah, so when you get them to start, like your good skills, you just get two free specialties in automatically. Yeah. So you can have dance, and then you can have whip and nay nay. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, you then... Uh, for your lower end skills, you'll get one specialty and whenever you get a new skill, if you buy a new skill, you get a specialty in it right away as well. Yeah. Uh, you can buy new specialties by themselves, but it adds a plus two if it corresponds to whatever the role is. Yeah. So if I've got a three in something and my specialty actually applies, it's a five, add the stat and then roll to see what the variant is. Mm-hmm. 
So, for example, if you need to do a musical performance and you're using your specialty instrument, the pan flute, <laughs> then you get an extra couple of points on that one. Yeah, if I am playing Zanfir. Master of the pan flute. I'm sorry. This has been an episode all about complete titles. I don't know what Zanfir you're talking about. Are you talking about <laughs> Zanfir the magic talking goat? No, I am talking about Zanfir, master of the pan flute. Okay. Zanfir, master of the pan flute, who's a magic talking goat or the human one? The human one. <laughs> okay. That's his full title. <laughs> Zanfir, master of the pan flute, parentheses, the human well, one. Well, it's been that way ever since 1988 when, the, when Zanfir, <laughs> master of the pan flute, magic talking goat, first burst onto the scene. That, that amazing pan flute scene. <laughs> I mean, really, that scene's just got the two of them. It's really unfortunate they're both named Zanfir. Right? Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd think there was something going on there, but no, it's just a coincidence. Yeah, and you got to go through the whole name for either one, even if you wanted to talk about both, because you have to do, to separate them from Zanfir, minor villain on the Aladdin TV show. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah. You get that, and that's going to be your role. It, of course, has a whole chart of that the source of what difficulty is. Oh, God, yeah. Is this one challenging or difficult or moderately difficult? Uh, boy, this again. Yeah, so... Th these are always fun. The The baseline one that you're normally looking at is usually for an average task somewhere between, like, 4 to 10 with normally 7 being a, like, this is when you should be rolling. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because if you've got a basic stat of like, let's say a five. Yeah. Uh, and you know something relatively well, you're going to be at like an eight. Mm -hmm. Which, okay, most of the time you'll be fine with it. But if it goes even lightly above that, like you go to a, a 10 or a 12, mm -hmm. your odds of doing anything in this game are so slim yeah the, the whole pulling off a difficult challenge in this game is overwhelmingly unlikely to the point where it's best if you only let the specialist in various skills try their one thing yeah because even then like let's say i've got a seven in my stat because i'm really good at it mm -hmm. i've made it my primary and i'm at a specialty even at that point i've got a 13 in something and there's a very good chance i won't even hit the difficult marker of getting a 15. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. This game is, e even if you really specialize, you're best off just constantly trying for moderate tasks. And of course, even then, the difficulty chart goes up to like 25. Yeah, which I'm not even sure why. Well, there's, uh, you do have the option for a few things of combining. Mm. So if it's like, oh, four people are trying to lift the same thing, you can combine roles. Or if someone's trying to help you, you can get like a small bonus from them. But even then it's still to the point where I'm like, man, you just should not try to do anything difficult. No, definitely not. That's why you're not on Babylon five. That's where real men do hard work. Oh yeah. That's well, the book wants you to know you are like any other person in the universe. And the only reason you're a protagonist is you have fortune points. Yep. <laughs> not like those heroes and golden gods who live on Babylon five and are rad. Oh yeah. They are super awesome. Yeah. You are some space shit farmer. Yeah. Londo and Jakar are so good at having the same boring argument every episode for three seasons in a row. Yeah, of course they are. They're the best at it. I don't know who they are or what their argument is, but I will definitely agree with you. The, I will yes and that. <laughs> Great. Thank you. The basic plot of the show 
is that Babylon 5 is like a, a UN in space. Yeah. So the main characters, other than the human main characters, like oh, Sheridan and is like the human representative. So he's there to talk to these aliens, but all the aliens that have names or, or have anything to do with anything are ambassadors. So it's just Delenn and Jakar and Londo and uh, Kosh, who's the Vorlon that we aren't really talking about, are all like, I represent my, my planet's interests and we're just going to have arguments about our planets here. Let's go. That's every, unless it's a one-off uh, alien who was introduced, be either shown in the background or do one thing for one episode. That's all they ever do is they just argue about planetary interests until wacky nonsense starts happening when they run out of story. Man, that sounds boring as fuck. It is very boring for a very long time. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and Londo's the emperor now. <laughs> oh, no. Now he's the Grand Nagus. Wouldn't you know it? All three of these people, uh, these these playable race people, they're all like super important to their culture beyond just being an ambassador. Yeah. It's like uh, all of a sudden Jakar is like some legendary reptile hero and Delenn is the first of her species to also be half human and then she becomes super important and and then Wallace Shawn shows up and he's like you've got to become the Grand Nagus I feel like there's a pretty solid chance that Wallace Shawn shows up I I would have to imagine I'm pretty sure Wallace Shawn gets around <laughs> if you know what I mean oh I do I feel like even as we speak Wallace Shawn is buried up to his ears in some cleavage somewhere <laughs> just uh, giggling furiously <laughs> He's like a little goblin man, and I love him. <laughs> I like to think of Wallace Shawn as the living embodiment of that little Asian stereotype anime grandfather <laughs> who knows martial arts but wants panties, you know? Yeah, just you know. That's just Wallace Shawn's life, just bouncing through the world he, being like, I was in Uncle Vanya! <laughs> I want panties! <laughs> yeah, he is definitely that Ronmo one-half grandpa Ninja panties. Scroll guy, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's Wallace Shawn. He's the American version of that. <laughs> so how does combat work in this game john oh boy so up until this point the game even though it's got a little bit of a difficulty uh with uh making harder roles it's very streamlined your character creation is very uh story based it seems uh very uh progressive forward thinking it's ahead of its time in a lot of ways uh it looks like a game where you go, oh man, they put a lot of really awesome thought into this. Like, this is something I could see coming out, you know, in the mid to late 2000s. Also, it's very high production values. The whole book is gloss, uh, uh, color. color. Yeah. Yeah, every page. I mean, the art is awful because the, the races aren't very interesting. Well, the so. art is awful because it's Babylon 5, which is shit and so, looks terrible. So they're like, oh, here's a picture of a ship. And you're like, Ew, that looks like poop. Oh, that's a still from the show. <laughs> that looks like someone's first draft. Are we going to apply a whole lot of extra layers to that? No? Okay, well, is it a villain from the first Wing Commander game? <laughs> no? All right, well, then is Pac-Man going to eat it? No? Maybe? Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to tell him he can't. <laughs> well, if he gets a power pellet. I mean, you know, you get a power pellet in him, he'll eat whatever. He's like Matter Eater lad of video games. You get that power pellet in him, and there is no talking him down. <laughs> He is going to eat whatever he wants. That's why you got to keep him away from those power pellets most of the time. Yeah. He's he, he gets too crazy on them. He's always like, I can just have one. It's fine, guys. I'm okay. I'm past that. Well, you know, he's going to VGNA. So video game narcotics anonymous <laughs> and he's, he's getting help. Yeah. Him. He's, he, he's, uh, I believe his sponsor is Mario who has given up the mushrooms. Yeah. He's, he's really given up on that. 
Uh, he's tried to give up on the the herbs. Yeah, you know, no no more flowers. No more flowers. And meanwhile, Sonic, of course, isn't a part of any of this because, as we all know, rings are a stimulant and not a narcotic. <laughs> as we all know, he's mostly just a thief going around stealing gold rings. Which you know, it's not his fault that the world seems to store gold rings about a foot off the ground outside everywhere in lines. Yeah, it's just a weird thing, but he keeps taking advantage of it. I know, and everyone else has learned to live within the society where whenever people leave their hovering, floating, spinning rings outside, you just step to the side in that two-dimensional plane and walk past them. You're going to need to do that anyway, because that's where the stairs behind those weird ramps are. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you're not running up a ramp. What no, are you're you? Not, you're not running around in, inside of a corkscrew and not falling off because of your sheer momentum, so you need to wait and take the elevator. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> combat. So, combat, right. One, once you hit combat in this game, though, all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, yeah, this did come out in the 90s. Yep. Because it goes bonkers off the rails Overcomplicated is, is the, the boil down. Oh, my God. When, when it I is briefly, terrible. When I briefly spoke earlier about the grid that makes up a human body in this, every character sheet has a little grid printed on it that is human-shaped, sort of. It's, it's at a weird angle. Yeah, he's kind of like... Like he's about to start dancing, like he's his feet are out in an angle and his hands are coming out, and you're like, oh man, well, you're about to start his doing are, some shuffling. Yeah, his arms are half akimbo, half pointed down. He either looks like a referee making an unusual call, or he's in the middle of the old gray mare dance. <laughs> like he's just about to go, old gray mare, she ain't what she used to be. And that's it's one of those two things. And then he's covered in a a grid of varying sized hexagons. <laughs> yep. Which are uh, numbered, and the numbers are quite tiny. And uh, basically, to hit someone, you try and shoot at their grid, and then variant you have a variance to see how far away from the grid point you shot at you well, hit. Well, the the way it works is you are trying to shoot someone, and you are basically only worrying about your own skill. Yes. Uh, there's no real defense against shooting if you shoot mm -hmm. uh you can defend if it's melee combat yeah, there's dodge parry and block but what it is is there's a point on this hex grid body where it is your default aim mm -hmm. so it's basically right in the chest right you're trying to hit people right in the right square in the jibbers and you can attempt to called shot elsewhere but as many hexes away as it is from there, that's what your penalty to the roll is. So if I want to hit someone in the head, uh, I can go up two hexes from mm -hmm. the chest will bring me to the head. So I'm minus two on my attack roll uh, in order to hit them. But now my aim is towards the head. Now, the, <laughs> the way in which you resolve hitting someone is if you get like a lot of successes between, say, like three and above, mm -hmm. you just hit wherever you want it. If you end up getting like, a, I think it's like five or above, then you crit and do some extra damage. Mm -hmm. But if you get a marginal success between a, like zero to three, mm -hmm. you just scatter die. So there's the six sides on the uh, your little hexagon thing represent the six dots of a di or six faces of a die. So you roll a die and it'll tell you what what direction you're going, and then another die to tell you how far you're going. Yes. So even if you, if you were just aiming at the chest, if you happen to say roll a one for the direction and a two for where it goes, 
you would go two up and actually hit him in the head anyway. Right, but it is also possible to scatter off the body. Yeah, you can. If it can... tells you, like, two to the left, and you shoot, the, you shoot him in the armpit but miss because there's empty space there. Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, points where even when you succeed, you can still fuck up and not hit. Yes. Which is also why going for things that aren't the chest are also even worse because let's say I'm trying to shoot someone in the hand because I'm trying to be non-lethal. I'm trying to just disarm them or something. Uh, it's like four away from the chest is the hand. So I'm going to be minus four on the shot anyway. Yes. And then if I just go any direction basically at all, except for one of them, I'm going to end up scattering off the body and doing nothing which means not only is it harder to hit, but then even if I do hit, if I don't hit enough, I'm probably still not doing anything. Right. So effectively, combat is very, uh, no pun intended, hit or miss. Uh, yeah, the, the the melee, you can uh, try and parry or dodge if you've got a weapon or enough space to move around in. Mm -hmm. And if you block, essentially all you're doing is trying to uh, reduce the damage. So when you block, if you fuck it up, you take full damage, but it's to your arm. And if you do a decent block, then you take like half damage. But it's still, you're getting hit. You're just blocking with your hand. There isn't really a rule for I block with a shield, which I assume would probably just fall under parry? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not sure what this is all for. Like, I I've watched a couple episodes of this. I never saw anyone have a shield. No, That's I never... I mean, I can. I know that fist fights will break out, obviously, but yeah, not, not as often as you'd think on this show. There was not that much of hand-to-hand -hand combat happening in this. No, I mean there was way more hand-to-hand -hand combat in most episodes of Star Trek TNG. Yeah, and they had to get in those stupid put your hands together and slam the opponent in the back. Like I feel like half of the fighting in TNG was originally like their whole training method is an outgrowth of the Heimlich maneuver. Huh. Like, well, it's, everyone watched the old combat tapes of Kirk, and yeah. they were like, oh, that's how you fight aliens. That's how you, you fight aliens as inefficiently and slowly as possible. You axe handle those motherfuckers as hard as possible. Yeah, try and get that ham out their esophagus. <laughs> that's that's how you get them. That's how you save their lives. I mean, I mean, beat them up. So, now that would be goofy enough for combat, but it wouldn't be terrible. But then you get to the other section of combat, where the wound system so there's a wound system that's not bad in that you track wounds individually yeah it's got the immortal or whatever other games we've covered at this point where wounds are tracked one at a time so if i get shot in the arm i have a wound in that area if i get shot in the chest there's a chest wound and they're tracked separately if i take more than one so if i get shot twice in the chest i now take both of those wounds and combine them into one wound but there is a chart in here, which is how much damage you've taken in what location that tells you several different things. One is if you are knocked out or dead, like if you take just too much damage in your head, you die. That's it. Uh, but you also have to make a roll to see if you get uh, stunned or if you are knocked out. And then there's another chart that is however much damage you've taken in whatever area tells you, one, how long it's going to take to heal, 
two, there are like little bars underneath it that tell you if you've got broken bones or if you're bleeding. Mm -hmm. And if any of that is happening, then you go to a different chart and that chart tells you your heal times versus like how fast you're going to bleed out, how many rounds you have until that happens. Yeah, and then that takes you to a further chart that tells you whether you have an HMO or a PPO <laughs> that's going to interact with this and then how much your copay is, depending on whether or not it's a visit to the emergency room. Yeah, it's uh, it's real crazy. Yeah, that leads to a th- another chart, and that chart is uh, who brings you flowers and when. <laughs> so it's it, it just keeps going on. Yeah, it's very impressive. You have to you have to roll to see if you have long term injuries or trauma related to the injury you took earlier, and then further from that, whether or not you have to get special orthodontic work done. <laughs> yeah, and you know whether you get that done by a professional mm-hmm. or uh, you go to say one of the local colleges to get work done. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that, and then also uh, what your pain management system is going to be moving forward. <laughs> Uh, whether or not you were able to detect changes in the impending weather based on your uh, your your bum knee. Yep. All of that is it's it's all here. All of that was just made up by us. But would it be crazy if it was in this game? Yeah. It's I mean, basically. not all of that was no. made up. There is still everything that I had said. <laughs> no, there, that's true. Everything I said was just made up. Yes. Just now. But everything else is in this game. Just like the rest of our life, everything I say is true and everything Jeff says is bullshit. Now tell us which one of us is which. You have one question. (laughs) Oh, everything I say is the truth and everything he says is a lie. (laughs) Oh, what a lie. (laughs) Uh, 9-11 was an inside job. (laughs) Oh, damn it. He's the one who tells the truth. (laughs) Oh, but then I said that. Ooh. Oh, now what's going to happen? Jet fuel can't melt steel beams. <laughs> uh, so, so combat is crazy and lots of, like, if you get the upper hand to start, you're probably just going to beat the shit out of someone because the role to not be stunned is at best like a minus two or above that you need to roll. Yeah. And at worst is like a four positive four or above that you would need to roll. And the chances of you even rolling a positive four at all are ridiculously low. Yeah. Well, they're one in 20 or so. Yeah. So at that point, you're already looking at like, oh, you need a natural 20 to not just be knocked out by this shit. And it's not even just like, oh, well, this is when you get hit in the head it's super bad which it is but even the chest is like oh you got hit in the chest and it did like 10 damage get wrecked so wait what i'm hearing is every time you get hit in the head this this game you have to watch super bad oh yeah you have to that's every time that's rough i know but those are the rules that just sounds like a terrible rules as written (laughs) sounds like a terrible youtube edit (laughs) <laughs> it's Babylon. Babylon Project, but every time you get hit in the head, you have to watch Super Bad. And every time they say McLovin, it switches to the B movie. And every time they say B, it plays Ants. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. There you go. There's YouTube except, right Except, now. of course, I have no idea what role-playing game you were talking about in the middle of that. Oh, I'm sorry. I feel like you might have been talking about the Babylon Project, the role-playing game based on Babylon 5, the Warner Brothers television series created by J. Michael Straczynski. Yes, that is indeed the one I was talking about. Okay, that's good. I'm glad. Good. You- I'm, I, I don't want our <laughs> listeners to be confused. Yeah. Uh, so, 
So, John, you want to get to our favorites and least favorites? I mean, there's a, there's a gear section in this book that's probably worth talking about. It's sort of interesting. Well, you have, like, I mean, in any combat system, you're going to have uh, some armor, which is just a straight up takes damage off the top. Uh, you've got your weapons, which have a whole bunch of different stats, but mostly it's just how much damage they do and what skill you use to use them. A lot of description of what hyperspace is and how that works is a big part of this book. Uh, because that was the thing on the show is that this show's hyperspace was kind of an extra zone that they used for from which conflict could derive because their hyperspace on the show isn't just you go fast for a while. It's there's a whole parallel dimension and you got to get them jump drives. You got to get them jump gates and jump drives. And then when you use the jumps, you're you go somewhere faster, but you're not sure how much faster because. Yeah. After you use those jumpy jumps. Yeah. You're, you're not really sure of anything. Oh, I'm finally getting you on board with saying jumpy jumps. <laughs> You did it. You finally did it. I gaslighted you into it, didn't I? <laughs> it happened. It finally happened. Uh, it's just, I've accepted this as part of my life now. It's just like how I've been telling you about these three lights over here. <laughs> but there are four lights. Oh, oh no, John. There, there are three lights. There, there are three <laughs> lights and it's jumpy jumps. <laughs> All three lights are jumpy jumps. <laughs> uh, so you want to get into your favorite and least favorites? Sure, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind that there are more things that we've sacrificed on the altar of humor and getting on with it. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole adventure in the back here that you can go on. But it does have brief descriptions of the other races of the war- of the universe. Not that you can play as them or anything. No. I mean, here's the thing that I feel like is probably noteworthy about this game. They don't have a secondary health track system for people that you're getting in fights with. No, you have to fight everyone like they are a PC. Yeah, so if you get in a fight with 10 goons, that's 10 of these stupid hex grids with secondary separate separated wound tracks you have to deal with. Yep. So get ready for that. He couldn't just be like, these guys have five health. If you hit them, they take three damage and are still alive. But now they have two health. It's no roll on this grid thing and see if you get them in the shoulder or the hip. Yeah. And don't and then check to see if that's going to turn into a traumatic injury. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. So what would you say is your favorite thing about the Babylon Project, the role-playing game based on Babylon 5, the Warner Brothers television series created by J. Michael Straczynski and other wit and wisdom of the West. (laughs) Well, I'm going to say the best thing in this is definitely the character worksheet Mm -hmm. process of making a character. I thought that was really interesting that when you are originally making a character, they're like, don't worry about trying to be all about, you know, uh, saying this is what my character is right now and this is how they do everything. Just go step by step of how they got through life and what they did and uh, what skills they would have gained that way. And it really would make a character who might not have thought about all of those things give more thought to it so you have a more broad-based character than someone who's just like, I have gun using and armor using and punching and also flying a spaceship, and that is all I have. My family was killed by orcs. My family is dead somehow, and that is all. <laughs> they are not useful hooks. No, there are no useful hooks that I have. Okay. So, uh, what would you say is your favorite thing about the Babylon Project, the role-playing game based on Babylon 5, the Warner Brothers television series created by J. Michael Straczynski. I like the characteristic system. Okay. I thought that was kind of innovative. It's interesting. It looks 
for me, you know, uh, one of the things we started with when we first started doing the show was my irrational hatred of uh, merit and flaw systems. Yes. It, which has softened a lot over time. I mean, this is going to be like our 84th or 85th game that we've covered or something, and they almost all have them, and you, you eventually have to either get on board or, or lose your mind. So I did both, and and uh, I've eventually come to accept them, but this is a good version of them, because these aren't really merits and flaws, they're just story elements. Yeah, this is just... Tell me something that is a character personality trait. Like, what does your character normally act like? And then you get bonuses based on if that becomes an issue or not. Yeah. So I thought that was fairly nice and and a a decent, innovative system. So I'm going to say that that was my favorite thing about this. Okay. All right. So that leads us to our least favorite. So that's going to lead me to ask you, John, what is your least favorite thing about Babylon 5, the cowardly assassination of... Uh, Robert Ford by the coward. I can't remember the rest of it. Oh, boo. Yeah. <laughs> I never saw it. I'm, it's just not my kind of movie. Oh, well, you know, my favorite thing in the Babylon 5 project that uh, went up a hill and came down a mountain yeah. is, uh, well, the least favorite thing in there, whoo, baby. I mean, it's it's got to be that uh, the fucking combat system. I'm going to go specifically the worst thing for me is the chart on the whether you get knocked out or whether you get stunned or if it just outright kills you. Uh, The whole thing with that is, I mean, it's just so fucking useless because the, I mean, if you wanted to say like your head has 10 hit points, if you took more than 10, you're dead, that's fine. Yeah, that would have made a lot of sense. But it's like you could take five two wound things and still not die from it just because each time you took the wound you'd roll to see if you were stunned and then after the fight was done you'd go down to the 10 damage track at the number one area and see what that does for bleeding or broken bones and trauma and you're like it's always weird when these games come out with these combat systems and it feels like they didn't try them because they would have tried them and gone, oh, oh, it takes 20 minutes to resolve anything. Yeah, I mean, like, that's... And 1v1 fight is 20 minutes. If you start going like, oh, well, here's our group of five people. We're going to fight a group of 10 mooks. This is going to take all day Mm -hmm. because not only are we barely hitting each other, but then when we do, we have to do a full cross-reference cross sheet and see where they've taken wounds and what kind of wounds they've taken and are they stunned or are they shaken or... Uh, it's just... It, it's bad. So so that's me. Jeff, for you. Worst thing. Okay. My, my least favorite thing about the Babylon Project, uh, the role-playing game based on Babylon 5 TV show, when the pawn hits the conflicts, he thinks like a king. What he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight and he'll win the whole thing. Before he enters the ring, there's no body to batter when your mind is though might you win. So when you go solo, you hold your own hand and remember that death is the greatest of fights. And if you know where you stand, then you know where to land. And if you fall, it won't matter because you'll know that you're right. My least favorite thing about that. About that. Yeah, about that game. Okay, hold on. What was that again? One more time. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You must. I know you have a headache. You might not have been paying attention. It's it's a, <laughs> the Babylon Project, the role-playing game based on the television show Babylon 5. When the pawn hits the conflicts, he thinks like a king. What he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight, and he'll win the whole thing. For he enters the ring. There's no body to batter when your mind is your might. So when you go solo, you hold your own hand to remember that death is the greatest of heights. And if you know where you stand, then you know where to land. And if you fall, it won't matter because you'll know that you're right. 
Mom Spaghetti. <laughs> By John Michael Straczynski. <laughs> and in this case, uh, Eminem and Fiona Apple. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, my least favorite thing is the tone. And this is going to be a little more nebulous than your very comprehensive and straightforward answer. Uh, this book goes out of its way over and over again to remind you that you should only play humans with occasional exceptions, that you probably shouldn't be psychic, that you definitely cannot set this after uh, the year 2259. Uh, all these things are like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And, and my whole thought is, why? Well, what if I wanted to play as a unit of all Mimbari warriors? Well, uh, I know this is definitely a thing with you because you hate being a human if you can have any other option if there's one available in a game. Uh, that's that's true, but that's not really where my complaint is coming from. But sure, go ahead. Well, I mean, for you, you're always like, I don't want to be a human because it's boring. I am a human. I want to play something weird and interesting and try stuff out so I can understand where you would be coming from with that. Uh, yeah, that's part of it. I mean, but it's not really the whole thing for me here. Uh, this book gives people unparalleled possibilities in the realm of the Babylon 5 storyline. I mean, the Babylon 5 storyline is a static thing. It's over. We've seen the move, the one TV movie they made. We've seen the five series seasons or whatever it was. Uh, we've read the books. Uh, but there's no reason that you couldn't have this game set in Centauri Court. It gives you all the rules you need to play Centauri. So why does it seem to be like, oh, you need to play as humans who went to human space college and you own a space truck and you drive around and have those adventures and not, oh, you play as like uh, Narn freedom fighters and, and you do these things. If all the rules are there, why are they so insistent that you not use them in other ways? It's, it's uh, a 90s tone issue. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of games that, especially ones that use licenses, yeah. That are very much about like, yeah, technically we're giving you the rules to do whatever, but we really want you to just follow the kind of game that we want you to have. Yeah, they want your adventure to not be the story that was told in the show, but to look an awful lot like it. Oh yeah, I mean, even going way back to when we reviewed the Buffy the Vampire Slayer RPG, the the whole thing is like, oh, here's all the ways you can be like, watchers or you can just be like cool hunter guys or you can be uh, a nice vampire or whatever but the whole book is very much like yeah but you should probably have one slayer and you should be in sunnydale and you should definitely just be essentially the buffy show but maybe with different characters or maybe just everyone is the same yeah so instead of making the scooby gang why not make the jabber jaws <laughs> Yeah. It's basically the tone it was trying to carry across. Make a slightly worse version of the show that you liked and play that. Exactly. That's what they, they always seem to be suggesting. And, and to me, it's like, why waste such a vast potential of options? Uh, why not say, oh, we're going to play as, as Minbari characters who are rebelling against their ancient caste system. Or uh, we're playing as Narn that are still under the occupation of the Centauri and are, are fighting guerrilla warfare to escape their, uh, their domination. Uh, you have all these tools, you have all these interesting stories to be told, and the book goes out of its way unnecessarily, using up page space it could be using for interesting things, to just throw these reminders at you, like, hey, don't you try to play in this universe in a way that doesn't sort of resemble the book through a greasy mirror. Yeah, it, like I said, just a lot of those based on certain properties are like, look, man, the reason you bought this is because you like that property, so just do that. Because if you hook someone in to be like, hey, guys, you, you liked Babylon 5, right? Well, now we're going to play the Babylon Project, the role-playing game based on the television series 
from Warner Brothers, created by J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, you mean the Animaniacs? Oh, no, no. What I mean is the role-playing game based on Babylon 5, the Warner Brothers television series, created by J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I For a second, I thought he created the Animaniacs. For a second. Just a hot second. <laughs> it's, it's just such a weird thing for me. Uh, it's just like how, you know, Lord of the Rings has all those role-playing games or video games that came out like right after the movies. Yep. And some of them were these role-playing games that were like Final Fantasy type things that were set in the same universe and you had to play as like a noble ranger, his young wizard friend, uh, an elf, a dwarf, and a hobbit need to find the fellowship so that they can give them this rope they forgot to take with them. <laughs> and on the way, you'll fight the Saragan, Sarudan. Uh, and and his his morks. Oh, Saru Dan. <laughs> I'm just imagining like a giant dude in metal armor, but then also wearing like cargo shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> so basically, if Saruman was played by Adam Sandler. Yes, is, is exactly what I am thinking of. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. But that, those are always the worst role play Lord of the Rings games are the ones where it's like you play as guys who are almost the main guys, but are not quite the main guys, but they need to meet the main guys to give them a thing they forgot so they can do a way more interesting story. Yeah. The I best- mean, it's it's the same thing like, oh, we're going to play a Star Wars game, but all we are is just we're some dudes and we're, we're also here. Well, hi, I, Luke. The thing is, it's OK when the story is innovative and the character is given an interesting drive and they don't do the exact same shit as the actual story. Like, for example, that Lord of the Rings game where you play as like a, a like a gate guard who's possessed by the ghost of an elf. Yeah, that uh, shadow of Mordor. Yeah. And you spend all your time making orcs mad at each other. That's that's kind of neat because it's got a whole new premise and a whole new thing that's going on. Plus, it's not trying to be like, oh, well, you're going to be helping the fellowship do a thing. You're like, no, I've got my own stuff going on. I got a whole extra story going on over here. Did you know that there are ghost elves that can possess you in this universe? No, that's pretty innovative, isn't it? That's a whole new thing we're doing. Look, new stuff. Yeah, that's that's sort of cool. This book gives you the tools to do something new and cool and then tells you not to play with them. Yeah. Meh. So there you go. That's my least favorite thing. There you are. I mean, that's it's not like the book actually stops you. I mean, you could play these interesting things. It's just weird that the book feels like it's necessary to remind you not to. The fact that it rem- has to remind you not to suggests that they know you're going to. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, like I was, I was saying before, when you get someone in, like you hook them in with the whole, hey, we're going to play a, a Babylon 5 role-playing game, and then they show up and you're like, all right, everybody, you're all fucking Minbari now, and you're going to be doing this. And someone goes, but I wanted to play Babylon 5. Well, it's their fault. They have to make their own characters. It's it's just so weird. Like It's like the author was desperately worried, like awake at night while he was writing this book. He was like, oh, I've got this cool skill system. This is going to be such a good game. Where do they see this hex grid I made that's shaped like a human? They're going to flip their shit. Oh, my God, though, but what if everyone plays as a Narn? Oh, Oh, that's going to ruin my game. Oh, oh no. No, I'll never oh, be able to get off now. That's such a dumb decision, and they're going to blame me for it. I better make sure in the book that they know not to. Don't do this. It's bad. You're bad if you think you want to do this. Dare to keep your kids from playing as Minbari. And be stupid. Please <laughs> dare to be stupid. Please dare to be stupid. And then you'll have the touch. <laughs> the Transformers cartoon soundtrack. Look it up. Everything's great. All right, folks. Uh, oh, no, we're not done yet. John, Ooh. would you play? Hold on. The Babylon Project. Long title. <laughs> would I play the Babylon Project City of Violence? Yeah, yeah would you? I 
God. You got I, this I mean, huge probably? interest. This, you've got this raging interest in the in this setting. I know that much. Yeah, I know. You're, you're I a, mean, that's really hooking me in there. You're a total five head, I think, is what they're <laughs> what they're known as. Yeah. <laughs> a five head. You know, like Mina Suvari. <laughs> Now that's a little body shamey, John, but I, I do know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, the oh god, I mean, I I might give it a try. I just don't care about the setting at at all. Is the problem? Yeah. So like, I might try it out, but I just I probably wouldn't be that into it. <laughs> you <enough>. know, <laughs> it's like like my sex life. <laughs> Would you play Babylon 5? It's just not that into you. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I would definitely play How to Lose a Babylon 5 in 10 Days. <laughs> uh, not me. I wouldn't be into this game. I'm going to go ahead and say my rating is Failure to Babylon 5. <laughs> uh, I, I I have to say that this is definitely a 10 simple rules on how to date my Babylon 5. <laughs> Which is funny because it's 10 things I hate about Babylon 5. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. <laughs> and remember the late 90s and early 2000s of quirky Babylon five and comedies. a half men. <laughs> oh, now, see, for me, it's more like Babylon five men and a baby. <laughs> oh, the jokes. Ladies and gentlemen, the jokes. I think we're done here. I think so. Thanks so much for listening, folks. This has always has been the System Mastery Podcast, which you can find at SystemMasteryPodcast.com. <laughs> wow, you're just... Really losing it there. I know. I don't know what's going on. You're slipping into your original accent there. I made up faux Boston accent because I can't do real accents. <laughs> yep. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, you can find us at systemmasterypodcast.com. Uh, you can also... See, I did a little Boston there. You did. It, it you, didn't you, hurt, you, did it? You threw a little there on the com. Uh, just a tiny bit of spin. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us at System Mastery at Facebook, Gmail, Twitter, or Reddit, uh, or... At Patreon, if you want to support us on the Patreon, uh, if you give us as much as a single dollar, you will unlock our bonus content episodes, which is us using the engine we just reviewed to actually make characters and describe those characters to you. And they are funny every single time. Every time. Not a bad one ever. No, they're the best. We make the best characters. We honestly, we we know. (laughs) They're huge. Yeah, we know what you need when it comes to character creation, and then we make the best possible characters in this engine. And I don't mean they're overpowered or that they're optimized. I mean they are the best. Yeah, we make characters great again. Yeah. <laughs> Stab it. Yeah. It's bad enough that it's 2017. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't you do this. Don't you, <laughs> don't you drag that into here. <laughs> I'm going to build a big wall around tr- Trump jokes. <laughs> I'll make Trump pay for it. That's right. All right, so uh, otherwise, thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks with another episode of System Mastery. But until then, feel free to check out our many other fine properties, our Afterthought, our Movie Mastery, our new one where I'm going to make John read an expanded universe Star Wars novel. Damn it. Yeah, you got to do it. I'm Don't give do you, it. I'm doing it. Don't do it. I'm doing it. You're going to read Shadows of the Empire, and then we're going to review it on the air. Look, I'm making it official right now. Yeah, that's not going to happen. No, I ain't going to read that shit. No, it's happening. Fuck you, buddy. Oh, you're going to love it. It's I'm going to show up and be like, yeah, I love that part when Luke was all like, hey, I sure am sick of all these Star Wars. I'm pretty sure that happens then, in that book, so we're probably and, fine. And then Han teaches him to fly the Millennium Falcon, and he's grabbing onto the feathers on the back of the Falcon. <laughs> I don't think you've read. The, I don't think you were in Star Wars at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I had the titular role. <laughs> I had the title and the titular role <laughs> in Moby Dick. <laughs> <sighs> that was my first line. <laughs> all right, we're done here. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, folks. Good night, and have a good week.
Oh, I stopped recording like an hour ago. Oh, no.